Welcome to Blue Collar BS, a podcast that busts the popular myth that we can't find good people, highlighting how the different generations of today, the boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z are redefining work so that the industrial revolution that started in the U.S. stays in the U.S. The Blue Collar BS podcast helps blue collar business owners like you Build a business that'll thrive for decades to come by turning that blue-collar bullshit into some blue-collar business solutions. In this episode, you're going to learn that business is just a game, and how you win is in your hands. The process of making money is fun, and that profits can change lives. And importantly, the importance of putting yourself and training in an LOI. Our guest today is Tato Corcoran a driven millennial who's in real estate and manufacturing to make an impact on people's lives. We hope you enjoy the show. Blue Collar BS Podcast, Brad, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic, Mr. Stephen Doyle. What is uh, the world in Clarkston, Michigan doing for you today? Well, the world is raining absolutely beams of sunshine. It's a sunny 52 degrees here, and I'm loving it. What do we got going on over there in Milwaukee? Well, it's it's a cloudy, overcast fall day. However, just because it's cloudy outside doesn't mean that the show is going to be cloudy. Our guest today is nothing more than a massive ball of sunshine and energy. And she's it's true, though. So Tato is with us today, an entrepreneur, a speaker, a real estate investment person, owner into a manufacturing environment at a very young age that knew nothing about manufacturing and is absolutely killing it. And I am so grateful to have her here today to share her story as to why and what she is doing to create her success in a manufacturing world when that's not where she came from. So, Tato, welcome to the show. Thanks, you guys. I'm really excited. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. So before I forget, and before Brad rips me a new one, Yes. Which generation, Tato, do you fit in with? Uh, six days out of seven, I am proud to say that I'm a millennial. Awesome. And, on the seventh, and on the seventh day? On the seventh day, millennials just give us such a bad name. <laughs> That's a bad name. But sometimes I do it to myself. I was at a conference last week where they didn't serve espresso, and all three days I DoorDash Starbucks, and I was not proud of that. But I mean, or DoorDash Starbucks because yeah, they just had shitty coffee. Yeah, it was arguably one of the more millennial things I've done in a really long time, and it left me really ashamed. Arguably, what do you mean arguably? Arguable <laughs> there. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, no, it was bad. Yeah, so that that's day seven. That's day, day seven. seven. But, I, but I did it for three days. It was day seven, but I did it for three days straight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, so Tato, how does a, you know, a young lady from California working at Salesforce get into real estate and then owning a molded cultured marble manufacturing facility? So in a super small nutshell, we can dive into whatever it is we want to, but in a super small nutshell, when I was young, I was always hustling in like every different type of way, even when I was a little kid, like I just, you know, a lot of times they'll say business is a game if you play it right. And to me, it does feel like a game in some ways. Sometimes it's super real and, you know, crazy stressful, but a lot of times, you know, it's a game. And like, I 
I see the process of making money as just a really fun one. And so I've always, always been obsessed with business and entrepreneurialism. Um, but I didn't know how to really make that happen. And so I spent almost 10 years of my, well, the only career I've had in tech, which is what you do when you're millennial living in the San Francisco Bay area. And really the impetus to kind of my life now, which couldn't be further from wearing heels in downtown San Francisco every day was COVID. We were the first to be shut down, obviously. And, you know, tech was like the first to stay at home and whatever. And that just for me, took on a total life of its own. Like I was the poster child for why ambitious millennials should never be allowed to work from home policy because I took massive advantage of it, not really meaning to, but all of a sudden I wasn't expected to be anywhere physically. I have family here in the Milwaukee area and my sister's here and just had just had a baby. And so I had plenty of reason to be here. And one thing led to another, you know, first things first, I kind of stopped and said, wow, you know, I could afford to buy a house here, which isn't, you don't think to buy a rental property in California. And so I kind of realized that, and I'm sort of a person where like, I decide I'm going to do it. I go full, I like jump off the cliff. And then as I'm falling, I'm like, wow, I really don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And then I just kind of figure out how to make it work, which is what I did. So I found a house to buy because I was like, I'm going to do that. And while a ton of things went crazy wrong, it was so fun and amazing. And instantly just, I fell off a cliff with real estate. I became obsessed. I took in any piece of content I, I possibly could. And then that was a whole couple year long process that led me to a group of peers who I'm still really close with through a mastermind. And a couple of those peers of mine were, were buying small business. So that's where that conversation started. They were buying up local business for, for several different reasons. And so again, I was like, Oh, I could probably do that. And Though it was more of a journey than it sound. Yeah, I'm making it sound less of a journey than it was. But basically, I found a really good deal. And I was like, I'm going to buy that. And so I did. And I had literally no no idea what I was doing and no idea what I was getting myself into. But that's that's really the short version. Is a ton of just completely blind ambition and hard work until it worked out. Blind ambition. I like that. Yeah. Wow. And this is the short version, Steve. So many questions right now. So pick one. Pick one. So as you're going through this whole business, purchasing a business as a younger person, walk, tell our listeners what that journey was like for you as someone buying somebody else's business. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The you have to lace the context of all of my answers with honestly and truly, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I had no idea what I was doing. And I don't mean that like, Oh, oh aha. But, like, but, you know, here's the thing though. Right. So all of those chucks in a truck that buy their business from that other, from the old guy that's retiring that says, okay, this is a really good business. Um, you did exactly that just in a different environment than everybody, than a lot of the other folks that listen to the show. Right. So it's important to share that. So don't, yeah. it, you're not alone in that journey. Exactly. And it's, you know, it's, I don't say it, you know, to downgrade myself or whatever, but people, I think the reason I I preface the answer to the question is because the couple times I have talked about this one-on-one with people who are looking, I can tell that they're trying to be really strategic about what it is that they're buying. And, and if you can place strategy around it, then that's great. Absolutely. But like, I didn't have a strategy. I was like, I'm just going to find something that seems like a good deal. Literally, that was the whole strategy. So anyways, saying that, 
I, I had looked at all kinds of things. I looked at like dog grooming businesses. I got, I actually became very, very, very in-depth educated on laundromats. I could tell you all about laundromats because I was close to doing that and everything <laughs> in between. Literally, like I sent out letters to every owner of a porta potty, porta potty business in Wisconsin. And like, I can't tell you how many conversations I had with 70, 72 year old dudes who had been doing this since they were like 25 and could not believe that a 29 year old girl was reaching out asking if they wanted to sell. They're like, I got to get a load of this. And so they all called me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, I just threw a ton of spaghetti at the wall. I was like, I recognize that I don't know what I want to buy. So I'm going to pretend like I'll buy anything and then take that education and kind of narrow my funnel. And that, that really is how it happened because then I came across some business brokers and the particular broker who ended up selling me this business was representing the seller. And he initially tried to pitch me on it. Second, he said manufacturing. I was like, I don't know anything about literally anything, but I definitely don't know anything about manufacturing. So like, I appreciate it, you know, but no, thanks. And uh, like a month or a month and a half went by and he called me and he was like, Hey, I understand that you didn't necessarily show interest initially. However, this owner is going to close his doors in two weeks. So if you want to at least walk through, you know, you can basically like the, you know, the deal's yours. And he then told me that he owned the building and that the building would be like a part of the sale. And so I was like, okay, like at a minimum, I will go look at a piece of real estate, right? Because that's at least something that I feel comfortable with. Close friend of mine and Brad's is, is very in to the Milwaukee commercial real estate space. And so he offered to come with me and I was like, okay, your only job is to walk around the entire place, you know, and tell me if it's a good deal or not. And basically long story, not really made sure what little I could understand of looking at his financials and what little I could understand of the business in general looked promising. Mm -hmm. And I was like, look, your building is worth $750,000. I won't pay you for the equipment. I won't pay you for the business, like nothing else. Just, this is what your building's worth. Um, and he didn't have any other options, literally. Like he could have closed his doors and liquidated, but that is way more simplistic than than it actually Good. is. So so that is the short answer to that question. <laughs> but really, like it came down to okay, I'm gonna buy a business. I've never owned a business. I don't know what I'm doing. And so if I am going to buy a business that's just a real estate play, then that's as like hedged as I can get with my risk. You know, it's, it's the least risk deal I'm going to find possible, you know, probably. And so that's why I did it. Cause I was like, well, worst case I suck and I'll rent the building. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So you took the risk of of buying from a real estate perspective and now take us through that journey of, okay, you go through that. Oh shit. What the fuck did I just do moment? Yeah. After I signed the paperwork and go, not just a moment, by the way, not just a moment. I still have that every day, but yeah, go on. But anyhow, so so you got that. And the first customer calls and says, hey, you owe me some stuff. Yeah. And right there's, I, I'm going to assume like many uh, boomer businesses that there probably was, it was all in the previous owner's head. It was nothing there, right? And it was just a little bit of, okay, <laughs> uh, what's on? What do I have? What's there? What do I do? How did you work through that transition of fear, anxiety, stress, all of those things? And how much of your team that you acquired stayed as well as they stayed and were helpful versus trying to be saboteurs? 
I had the great fortune of, and I will always thank my seller for this. The day we signed our LOI, which as you know, is not necessarily a a truly binding agreement, but the day we signed that LOI, he agreed to bring me on full-time to learn the business, which was a way for me to get two months of learning for free and basically just like speed up my ramp. And he didn't have to do that. And he did that. And that made so much of a difference. Um, and I'll always be grateful to him for that. But basically, I show, I signed the LOI. The next morning, I showed up and literally, he handed me the company phone and said, here you go. We have two months to learn 35 years worth of business. So I hope you're listening. And we, that's exactly what we did for at least 10 hours a day for two months. I literally would get home and be like, I can't speak to anyone until seven o'clock tomorrow morning until I come back into that office. Because I was just so, so mind boggled. Um, also keep in mind, like I didn't even know what the fuck culture marble was until like, the day I showed up to learn what I had just bought. Like that's how little context I had coming into everything. But so that was, that was critical for sure is, um, the fact that I just basically, you know, w- was attached at the hip with my seller for two months. So, so for those listening note to self when buying that business, if you can get training is tied to your LOI for free take advantage of it. Yeah. And I didn't even know that that was like a thing, much less, uh, you know, a, a privileged thing. Right. I, t- I totally see it now. But anyway, so at the time, the business had three employees. One was headed off to college. So I really don't even count him, to be honest. Two long tenured employees who had all of the knowledge in addition to the seller. So it was absolutely critical that those two were made as happy as humanly possible and kept on. Since then, it's kind of funny and I mean, whatever I fired one and the other is now my business partner. So one ended up just it, whatever didn't work. And the other literally is my right arm and my left arm and the reason that my doors are open. And I recognized how valuable and talented he was from the get go. And not just as an employee, like he's just a human that I adore and we get along swimmingly. And I just was like, so Um, I'm a very transparent person. Neither of us is going to ignore the fact that I'm nothing without you. So do you want to be my business partner? You know, how can we work together? How can I like really tie you into the actual business of what it is that we're doing Mm -hmm. the bottom line of, you know, your efforts every day and things like that. So he's, you, you know, he's uniquely bonused, right. Based on company performance, he has total transparency into, you know, what we do in the books and this and that. And while it was critical at the, at the time, I, now I just feel like, I feel like I, in a way, co-own the business with someone who I wholeheartedly respect and love. And while it would be, it feels close to impossible, like if you were to walk out the door for me to operate the business without him. But the truth is, I don't, I wouldn't want to operate the business without him, you know, like we just have this great relationship. But anyways, okay. So I'm being long winded about that. So that's, <laughs> so I retained one employee basically is, is the answer to the question, okay, which is insane. Like, that's insane. You know, this isn't a big business by any means, but it's not a small business. So the fact that I had one person is wild, but we would require a minimum of 10 hours to actually dig into how I dealt with the stress, etc. Because I have never experienced anything like the last six months of 2022. I mean, truly, but in a nutshell, I mean, you get to a point where you're so deep in. And for me, like, I just don't give up. I just don't do it, you know? And so you kind of like just turn off to the fact that your entire life is 
falling apart and you're losing money hand over fist and you just, I don't know, you just like, you just survive. Like I literally for the first probably eight months of the business was just surviving. And that feels like a very just dulled version of yourself to, I can't even count the hard lessons that I learned. I mean, when I took the driver's seat, keep in mind, it was the, you know, raw material price surge, right? Right. I came in, my raw material went up 50%, 50% on top of prices that were already at least five years behind, probably 10. Come um, on, there should be a process for that. Where And so then the only way to remedy that is to go to customers who have worked with the same guy for a decade plus and say, hi, I'm new. You don't know me or trust me. I have no background. And by the way, your price is going up 40%. Really tough conversation to have. Did it work? The business. Um, I had no customer attrition, which I'm very proud of. So yes. it worked. So it worked. Yeah. <laughs> it it's did. Weird. I mean, I chose, I chose to delay that conversation actually in truth for a good three to four months because I wanted to prove to them that this transition was going to happen with no hiccups. In fact, some of the companies didn't even know we transitioned ownership. They were like, wait, what? Like they had no idea. So, so, so Tato, hang on. So, so uh, I, I, I want to interject. I want to ask a question in this spot because yeah. There's some, I think there's a good observation here. You are a very self-aware individual. So if you, you've identified yourself to be in that millennial space, right? DoorDash that coffee and, you know, because they don't have the coffee you like. Do you believe if, if you were in a older environment, if you were put yourself in a older Gen X seat like myself, do you believe that success would shut up? Your success would have come out the same way. Gosh, that's such a hard question. I mean, if I'm understanding the question correctly, I think that my youth, charisma, charm, and ambition packaged together, as as crazy as it seemed, was alluring to to people, and they were willing to at least give me a listen and give me a chance. And then when I proved them, proved to them that I was competent. I think they were that much more excited to to partner with me. I guess I don't know if that answers that question. No, it does because because obviously you know I've been in the facility and I've seen it and we've talked about the the culture that you've created. I don't know that a fifty five year old white guy coming into that business could have accomplished what you've accomplished in the same period of time to do those things because of your energy level, because of your enthusiasm, because of your sense of community, because of those different generational differences that we've grown up with and, and behaviors that are accepted versus not accepted across some generations. Yeah, totally. And I think that like, for better or for worse, millennials are like enabled to like really be themselves and, you know, have personality and all that. And I definitely take that to an extreme. I was raised with like way too much self-confidence and way too much space to, you know, be my own, but should I get you a medal? Can I get you a medal? Should I get you a trophy? To your point, like you definitely, like I just, I just kind of approach things with a limited sense of fear, you know? And so, yeah, I, I do think that helps. Um, I think it helps too that not only am I young, but I'm a young woman in a very male dominated space. Oh, right. Yes. So that was initially something that I was really um, self-conscious about and frankly got a lot of rudeness about but I ended up using it to my advantage because I truly believe that I've I've won meetings that I I really shouldn't have won 
because again, like I was placed in a position of being just doubted, doubted. And so when someone default doubts you and you can prove them wrong, then it's like a double win. Yeah. So, yeah. Truly. I, I know. Another stack of I told you so cards. I, I know for a fact. Double that, win. <laughs> yeah, I know for a fact that most yeah. meetings that I've taken, whether they were with, you know, customers that I inherited or customers I wanted to sell that they came in with a, you know, a default sense of doubt. Some have even told mm-hmm. me that it helps to that for better or for worse. Also, I am licensed as an oppressed business by the state being a female owned business. So that too, like was an instant way to set me apart because that's not an easy designation to get. And it's very valuable to builders who are held to, you know, equality requirements and stuff. Right. So that was like a specific, like tactical way, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that I was able to leverage my otherwise weirdness in in the industry, but unlikeliness is a better way to put it. For those that are not in Wisconsin and those that don't know you, tell us what Brant Molded Marble does and, and who you supply, who your customers are, and why you are excited about your business. Yeah. So we manufacture cultured marble, which is a form of man-made stone. Some people are familiar with granite. That's a stone pulled out of the earth, uh, cut down, polished, in other words, fabricated, Quartz is a stone that people are familiar with. Quartz is actually man-made in a similar fashion that my product is. But cultured marble, for those who aren't familiar, is a cost-effective option when it comes to stone in a residence or a commercial building. So the customer base that I inherited is all single-family or condo residential spec builders here in the Milwaukee area. Entry-level specs. So at most semi-custom, most are production builders. You know, they're just trying to pound holes into the ground and put, um, I don't want to say affordable housing, but put lo- like lower cost new home buyer houses on the market. Right. And then the customer base that I'm working uh, really diligently to expand is twofold. Uh, one side is the remodel space. There's a virtually insatiable remodel market here in the greater Milwaukee and Madison areas where our shower application is really ideal. And then in the commercial side, there's apartments going up quicker than you can possibly imagine. And so again, have a quote unquote, you know, budget. Millennials don't want to buy houses. Yeah, exactly. So that's a way that millennials are benefiting me, which is great. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so, so it's a perfect apartment product. So those are kind of the three buckets where our product fits best. Um, like I said, we, we do a pretty good job of, I don't want to say dominating, but we're, we have a really strong foothold in the spec business, but not on the commercial side. And there's just way more work to be done on the remodel side. So that's what I'm working on. And what makes me excited is two part. Part one on the business side is that for lots of different reasons, cultured marble manufacturers have shrunk drastically in the last decade. So I'm one of only three, maybe four at most remaining in the entire state. And wow. you'll we'll define them as you go outward in the Midwest as well versus how much building is happening here. There's obviously so much land here. There's still a ton of demand, even though people think that no one lives here. And so the. That's only, that's only for all you folks that used to live in California. Think that. Yeah, exactly. We're just about that. Yeah. Okay. So the, the classic supply demand is, is wildly in my favor. I have also learned that my competitors oftentimes offer a really low level of service. 
I, and I only say that because that's the feedback that I've gotten when their customers have called me to talk about partnering. And so the fact that I can provide, you know, a similar product with great service locally makes me super excited. And then kind of the second piece of it is coming into all of this, I had no idea how much an employee base was going to affect me. And while it was a really terrible experience initially for a lot of ways, as I've grown my my own team, it's been an absolutely delightful experience riddled with, of course, you know, the everyday headaches that come with being an employer. But largely, it's been a really amazing discovery to learn that when you own a business that makes money, you have every power in your hands to fundamentally change the lives of the people who work for you. And you can either choose to leverage that or you can choose not to. And that's your choice. And I don't, I don't judge you either which way. But I have chosen to make that almost as important as what we do at work every day. And that has been so rewarding. And I feel like I haven't even gotten started. I haven't actually done what I really want to do. And it's and it's already been great. There's a song out there called You've Only Just Begun. Maybe you've heard of it way back that, in the day. That song is probably the story of my life. Mid-70s song. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I know. My parents are yeah. each other, Brad. Yeah. I'm, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Plato, somebody wants to uh, buy your product, look at your stuff, uh, have an inquiry, or just want to get a hold of a very young, energetic lady who has uh, turned an industry upside down. Where do people find you? How do they connect with you? What does that look like? I don't deserve that recap, but our Really? Really? (laughs) You've earned that recap, by the way, just so you know. Um, Our company's website or we're on Google of course Brant Molded Marble our company website is brantmarble.com so that's our business and then I am best reached on LinkedIn I actually do have a website for myself too it's just tatocorcoran.com because since my name is so weird the URL was only like a dollar you can find me that way too <laughs> but I'm on LinkedIn <laughs> so all right awesome uh Tato congratulations on your success Thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your story. Um, I am looking forward to having you back on the show in a year or two to hear about the next business you've acquired and gone through to, um, you know, impact the lives of others. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Blue Collar BS, brought to you by Vision Forward Business Solutions and Professional Business Coaching, Inc. If you'd like to learn more on today's topic, just reach out to Steve Doyle or myself, Brad Herta. Please like, share, rate, and review this show as feedback is the only way we can get better. Let's keep blue-collar businesses strong for generations to come.